Hello world, my name is Don and you're listening to Weekend Showcase, specifically the reaction cast for the new film Thor Love and Thunder in theaters now. Thanks for listening and subscribing. This is going to be full of spoilers, so if you haven't seen it yet, stop here, go see the movie in theaters, and then listen to this podcast. Moving on, I saw the film during opening weekend and I do have some thoughts on it, but first I want to give someone else on the team first crack at this. Hey Alonzo, what have you got for us, man? Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome back to another Weekend Showcase Spoilers Review. As you guys might know, the new Thor, Rag, uh, not Ragnarok, but the new Thor Love and Thunder film came out by Taika Waititi just the other day. And as you know, it's the newest installment of the newest Phase 4 Marvel films. Now regardless of what you think of Phase 4, it seems like they're going pretty experimental in terms of how their directors are handling the actual execution to a lot of these films and a lot of these Disney Plus products. So everyone's pretty mixed, and I gotta say, after Doctor Strange, I personally really liked it. I think I'm having the opposite effect where people don't like Doctor Strange, but they like Thor, because I really, really like Doctor Strange, and I really don't really, I'm not, I'm not really fond of the new Thor Love and Thunder film, I'm not gonna lie. Now, I'll be honest, I feel like a lot of it has to do with the idea that the film was marketed as like this, you know, massive, like cataclysmic fight between like gore the god butcher and if you have a title like gore the god butcher then i expect to see some god butchering right and it was really comedic it felt like a he-man episode honestly you know like the uh knights of eternia or whatever it felt it felt a lot like that personally for me and i'm not sure if i really vibed with it i think i would have liked it if it was a little more thor ragnarok if it had a little more you know like action to it i think hella was a great example of villains in the mcu that just really worked with the style because as much as i liked gore i don't think i don't think taika used him to a way or in a way where he used hella appropriately and by appropriately i mean like visually and you know this is still like a multi-million dollar picture i expect to get like a multi-million dollar like action adventure out of it and i just don't think i got it with this one i i wish i saw gore do a little more like you know like cataclysmic fighting in this one and i i especially wanted to see more you know like gods and all that now we this is a spoilers review so we did see some really cool characters like like eternia i think is its name like the all living universe person god thing that was cool, even though it was just for literally a few seconds, nothing more. But, I don't know. I feel like I kind of, like, was left pretty flat with this film. And I know that Taika came out with some controversial thoughts. Like, hey, you know, like, director cuts are blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know if you guys know that, but Taika hates director's cuts, apparently. So, if you were thinking about even potentially getting an extension of this film, well, I mean, you're not going to. <laughs> not at all. And, uh... I don't know, uh, I just don't think I had the most fun with this film, and I, I don't, I, I mean, it's hilarious, duh, of course, it's funny, for sure, I'm not gonna argue that it's not funny, it was really funny, like, it was funny all the time, and whether or not you dug that, or whether or not this film was good or not, really depends on how you react to that type of humor, so, you know, the MCU, regardless of what you would say, whether it's, like, good or bad, they're trying out different styles, and they're touching on different mediums and different, you know, avenues and genres that people might like, because in the end of the day, entertainment is subjective. And it seems like Marvel's doing a pretty dang good job at reaching out to all of these, you know, uh, genres and people's tastes. 
and whether or not you you know react well to this type of humor depends on oh, oh well well what i should say is like the uh the overall like what you feel about this film just depends on how you react to that and i don't think i reacted to it very well uh, it's not my cup of tea personally it might be someone else's but i personally just don't ever see myself watching this movie again nor do i want to and you know i guess if you would i guess you could compare it to doctor strange but i'm more in the samey in the in the sam raimi uh fan in terms of his style and i like gothic horror a lot like that aesthetic is just always very pleasing to me but this one felt you know a little a little too out there for me but we'll see uh either way i know possibly a few other people on the show maybe have different opinions and if that's the case i'm sure we'll be exploring them right now all right thanks for that review alonzo great job man so I'm going to put my two cents in on this movie as separately as possible from Alonzo's. We have not pre-reviewed either of our reactions to this film. So first off, the framing device of using Korg as a recurring narrator was a stroke of genius. I happened to have seen this movie during opening weekend on a date, and the woman I was with had not been very familiar with the MCU up to this point. Yes, some people still don't use Disney Plus like that. It is what it is. So Korg recapping the last Thor movies and Odinson's part of Endgame was very helpful in that regard. Given how precedent-dependent the MCU is increasingly becoming, I can see a lot less talking in the theater happening as a result of that. However, I did not like the way Love and Thunder seemed to be battling with itself as far as the primary focus point of the film. The first third of the movie does a lot of hopping back and forth between Thor, the original Avenger I'll call Odinson, who begins as a walking Weight Watchers ad, and Jane, who makes her return after nine years, just in time for a comic book-inspired cancer fight and chemotherapy treatments. After they meet up, it's less noticeable, but I sense this with the marketing with the Thor and Jane character posters. Thor has the tagline, the one and only. Jane has the one is not the only. This movie has to effectively juggle attention between two radically different interpretations of the same character. Odin's son versus Jane. The latter has the uninspired comics-sourced moniker of Mighty Thor. Humble personal opinion, if we want female protagonists who are able to stand apart from a male equivalent, despite similar characteristics or abilities, maybe less name plagiarizing is a less empty way to go. Looking at you, She-Hulk. By the way, not much surprise that Mighty Thor can be abbreviated in a way that literally sounds like the word empty. But I digress. The dynamic between Odinson and Jane slash MT functions as a humorous caricature of real-world relationships and encountering exes, right down to Stormbreaker emulating the role of the jealous current significant other. Again, nice date night fodder, lol. But I will zero in on what seems like a public consensus that Mjolnir being able to split apart mid-throw and reassemble itself Iron Man style was a genius way to upgrade from Blanchett's power move in the last movie. There's a more emotional heft to the Odinson slash Jane dynamic here, and the final sacrifice moment was earned, but ultimately cheapens Jane's ascension to MT. Heimdall's post-post-credits cameo in Valhalla was an unexpected treat her death was required for, but I would have preferred to see that sacrifice happen in a later movie, or the next Avengers movie, not when she's still playing with the bubble wrap on newly refurbished Mjolnir. Bad form. King Valkyrie came across as Tessa Thompson pretty much having more fun with the role than almost anyone, possibly even Hemsworth, and that's saying something. After Ragnarok and Endgame, she's fully settled into her role as the earthbound ruler of New Asgard. From dealing with political maneuvers, and the fallout from the kids being taken by Gore, more on that in a sec, to hitting the road with Odin's son and Mighty Thor. This character, and Korg also, had every reason to be treated as a useless third wheel, but actually held her own pretty well. Some say the screaming goats were a stupid distraction. I actually agree, but... There are a couple points where they're played for laughs in a way that productively helps you catch your breath from emotionally heavy scenes. 
such as, right before the first major fight against Gore on the disturbingly small planet, it almost looks like the giant space boat crashed into the planet nose first. The tension and shock being immediately undone by that distinctive scream actually got an audible laugh from me and my date and many others in the theater. So to each their own. Christian Bale. <laughs> what can be said about Gore that hasn't already been said over the last week? This character calls himself the God Butcher, yet the scene that most could have benefited from his presence in terms of actually killing gods, he didn't do. All we got really was him using the blade to kill a rather narcissistic and toxic deity in the prologue after a super subtle dialogue between him and Gore that can be interpreted as a commentary on the hypocrisy of religion. Have fun dissecting that scene after Sunday school once it hits Disney+. That said, Bale does unexpectedly well with one of the lesser-known cosmic comic bad guy roles ten years removed from his famous Batman trilogy. Death of his daughter, played by Odinson's IRL daughter India Rose Hemsworth, is the catalyst for the whole plot. And the resolution at the end is a heartfelt character evolution of Thor, from the arrogant immature brute we met in 2011 to the humbled, selfless, proud father we see at the end here. But, again, Gorga does very little god-butchering, and having Jane go to Valhalla later would have worked out just as well, maybe even better, with Jane fully recovering and stepping into a co-parenting role alongside Onansen, which is where I thought Taika Waititi was going to go with that. Abducting the Asgardian kids was a narrative choice to give the film a sense of stakes that hadn't been done to death already, as opposed to, say, destroying half the universe with a snap. But the kids themselves were an interesting contribution to the film, not just with casting choices Hemsworth, Portman, Bale, and Waititi all got their respective kids' cameos in the film, but the monsters summoned at the end were actually designed by kids of production crew, then passed on to the visual development teams for rendering into a full visual effect. So props to Waititi and his team for striking a different tone for the superhero genre, even behind the scenes, with families at the center. Now, ultimately, the film lends its focus more towards Odinson, and as one of the last surviving original Avengers, and the first to get a fourth solo movie, and given Chris Hemsworth has exec producer credits this time, he really gets to throw his weight around. Eagle-eyed viewers can spot his IRL twin sons Tristan and Sasha, and even his wife Elsa Pataki has a cameo. The Guardians of the Galaxy, still minus Gamora, are instrumental in the beginning of the film, but mainly as the film's narrative training wheels. Once the film is done with Korg's narration and the opening battles, they literally fly off, presumably to do the holiday special, lol, and leave this movie with Odinson and Korg. It's a sensible send-off, given the end of Endgame, and does its job of making me want more Guardians content, but that comes later. Russell Crowe as Zeus was a bizarre casting choice I wasn't really a fan of, but maybe that's because of the accent he chose for this character. Also, Zeus is not butchered by gore. Sigh. Anyway, intrigued by the post-credits setup introducing Hercules, though. Very much reminded me of the Adam Warlock tease at the end of Guardians 2. I wonder if that was James Gunn's suggestion here. Anyway, it probably would have been better to do Zeus than to have Russell Crowe actually show up as his originally intended role, which was as Satan. So, uh, I don't know if y'all have actually seen the pre-rendered sort of mock-up imagery of the costume and like look that they were going to go with for that, but eh, this was probably the lesser of two evils. The end scenes are a true encapsulation of the film at its core, an epic story about two very different kinds of love, romantic versus parental, set to the backdrop of thunderous space battles and creating a path for the next generation of legends. Also screaming space goats. Okay, and that's a wrap for this special spoiler cast for the new film Thor Love and Thunder in theaters now. Thanks to Alonzo for helping out with this, and thank you at home for listening, spreading the word about the show, and also for liking and following us on social media at Weekend Showcase, 
and of course subscribing to our YouTube, also Weekend Showcase. Wherever that vertical green WS is, that's us. Anyway, feel free to drop us a comment or a DM with your thoughts or a suggestion on what we should review next, and we just might feature it and your comment next time. Thanks again for listening. My name's Don. Hope you had a great weekend. Showcase you later.